So we get in New Mexico and we're in this remote area and we see this bus. It's like one of a kind. Oh my gosh, that's that's the bus from the gypsies that we crossed in Florida. And we decided that we should say hello. But we said, let's, let's get, get him something. So I go up and I, I knock on the bus. Next thing I know, that window opens and one of the individuals in the in the party there in the clan, and this guy's this really, really long beard and ZZ Top type beard, and he just looked really intimidating. And he peeks out the window and I'm standing there with donuts. They're like, hey, how you doing? Good morning. And he's pointing a revolver at me. Welcome back to Drive With Us Podcast, a podcast where we explore driving cultures around the world by bringing on a new guest each episode to talk about the crazy things they've experienced on the road, who they are as drivers, and how they became the driver they are today. I'm Bhavneet. And I'm Taranjeet. And happy International Women's Day, which actually just passed on the 8th, but yeah. <laughs> But before we get into who today's guest is, which you could probably already tell by the title, but we have a few quick reminders or updates for this unnamed segment. I guess we- Car keeping. Car keeping. We have some car keeping to do. <laughs> yeah. First, don't forget to enter our two-year anniversary giveaway that's going on right now. We're giving away two Alexa Echo Dots and one DWAP merch bundle. More details on how to enter are in the show notes below. And the last day to enter is Friday, March 26th. So get to it. And only one wow, entry per person. <laughs> get to it. Get to it. Well, I mean, this is a pretty cool uh I know. I prize. would enter for that. Yeah, maybe I'll do it. under <laughs> So we can keep the Echo Dot. <laughs> Pseudo name. <laughs> yeah. There's only one entry per person. But yeah, fun giveaway. Also. There are plenty of ways now, to, plenty of new ways now to connect with us. Yeah, come chat with us. Yeah, not just like plug us in your ears, listen to us, good yeah. day, bye. <laughs> talk to, you can actually now talk to us. We what, are on, not that you could, yeah. not that you could have before, but I mean like, I don't know. <laughs> Use your voice, like record your voice, because what I'm about to tell you is really cool. Okay. Hellos. <laughs> <laughs> we are on Swell, which is basically like Clubhouse, but it is inclusive of Android users like us. And this is not an ad. <laughs> not an ad, but come chat with us. Our handle is at Drive With Us Pod. And we basically post a question each week, and you can come, it's a voice thread chat app. So you can like just come drop a little comment and come join in on the discussion. We post questions and you can also come and discuss the episode you listened to that week. And if voice threads are not your thing, you can also join us on our Discord. Did you know we had a Discord? I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing that. I forgot the no part. <laughs> well, uh, no, let me tell you about it. We have a Discord. Discord. We have, we a, have Discord. a Discord code. <laughs> we have a Discord for our supporters and listeners. Where you can basically just come. It's a space for all of you to come connect with other listeners, to come connect with us, and just hang out and chat 
all things driving. Driving tips, driving fails, crazy stories, all things driving. Link for this Discord can be found in the show notes, so we hope to see you there. And now, enough updates because that was Enough car keeping. (laughs) Enough car keeping. Today's driver is Eric Silvoski, a freelance writer, football coach, stand-up comedian, educator, and personal development coach who specializes in clarity and resilience coaching. He loves the open road and adventure travel and has been fortunate enough to visit all 50 states and over 50 countries. Little jealous. (laughs) He's married to a lovely Brit and has three amazing children and loves to travel with his family. Eric decided to one day just drop everything and join his friend on a spontaneous road trip across the country. And along the way, they ran into gypsies not once, but twice, were told to pay cash for a speeding ticket on the spot, or they would be sent to jail and were strip searched at the Mexico border. Let's meet today's driver, Eric Slavosky. Welcome, Eric. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you both today. I'm super excited to hear all your stories, especially since you've been to so many different countries and so many states. What would you say is one of the most craziest or most interesting driving experiences you've had? Gosh, there's there's been a lot of them. You know, when I started thinking about being on the podcast, I was just like, how, <laughs> how am I going to limit these uh, experiences <laughs> and pick out the best sort of nuggets? Yeah, there's just, just been quite a few misadventures i guess you could say on the open road and i and i mean i've just absolutely always loved the open road too and driving and i probably should have been a truck driver all my life but driving's always kind of been i guess almost like cathartic or therapeutic for me and um i started off traveling a lot with when i was a little kid with my grandparents so but but anyhow to kind of get into some some stories i guess a, a couple that would stick out would be well i'll start stateside because i've i've had some pretty crazy experiences overseas too but I'll, I'll start here in the states and one that definitely stands out for me is uh so i was about i was about 19 and i had uh, i just finished up first year of college and i wasn't really sure kind of what I wanted to do with my life. And so I left college, I moved back home and I just, I started working on a farm. And during this time, a friend of mine from the military, he just got out of the military. He's about four or five years older than me, but he calls me up and he says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm just working on a farm and just trying to figure out what the next step is. And so he, he said, Hey, you want to go on a road trip? And he had a little Honda CRX that got like, I don't know, 55 miles to a gallon and gas was like, 50 cents a gallon. <laughs> I didn't have much money. I mean, I had maybe like four or $500 to my name, but I thought I can make that last probably for quite some time. So he said like, why don't we just take off and, and, and let's just drive around the country and we'll work as we need to work and, and that kind of thing. So we started off in Pennsylvania, which is my home state. And we, we left and I think it was late spring. And again, I was about 19 years old and we and a lot of people thought this was just a horrible idea to like my, my mom and friends and family, like you're going to do what? But anyhow, we set off and I should have known that it was going to be a rough trip when we got as far as South Carolina and we're driving on Interstate 95 one night and going a little bit over the speed limit, but not too much. But people with Southern plates are just passing us, like zooming by us. But anyhow, we got pulled over and stopped somewhere around Columbia, South Carolina and the cop he basically said that we were speeding and that if we didn't pay cash on the spot we were gonna have to spend the night in the local jail and so 
that $400 or whatever that I started off the trip with, it was about $50 lighter right off the bat. And we hadn't even got down to Florida, which was our first main stop. And so we ended up, we're on the side of the interstate and we're paying this guy in cash for this speeding ticket. So probably imagine what he, he probably didn't report that, I'm guessing. He just took that money, but the thought of spending time in jail wasn't very appealing at the beginning of our trip. But we did make it down to Florida. And so we're down there for a little while. And and we decided to stay a little bit. So we started working for the for the U.S. Census just to make enough money to keep ourselves going. And, and so we're in Kissimmee, Florida, near Orlando. We're in this campground. And we come across this group of people. I think we were staying there three or four days. It was a cheap campground. And we come across this sort of, I guess you would just say they were, they were like a clan of like gypsies. Like they just, they had this crazy looking bus that just had um, all kind of like stickers on it. It was a, like a converted school bus. And it was like rainbows and all different kinds of colors. And, and it was like parked right next to our little site where we had our little tent set up. And so so we started to, to talk to these people a little bit and we're just kind of curious about them. And, you know, and they, they seemed peculiar, but friendly enough. And we over the course of the few days we were there, we talked to him a little bit. But nothing, you know, nothing major, just kind of basic conversations. We asked what they were up to, where they were heading. And they were just like, oh, they're going to probably head out west in a little bit. And we didn't really know what they did or really very much about their background. But we said we were going west, too. We were going to be heading to Texas and then on to California. So a couple of days later, we, we departed. We said goodbye to them and didn't really think much of it other than, yeah, they were just interesting people. So we made our way west and we, we went out through, I think we went to New Orleans next, actually. We were there for a few days. and then we headed out west, crossed Texas, and got into like New Mexico. This would have been like probably close to two weeks later. And we're doing one of our like mega driving sessions across Texas. It's like over a thousand miles on Interstate 10 just to get across Texas. And so there's a lot of open road. So we get in New Mexico and I think my buddy was driving and it was early in the morning. The sun was just coming up and we're in this remote area of New Mexico. And, and we're both thinking we need some coffee, maybe, I don't know, a snack or something like that to wake up and get going. So we, we exit off in this desolate area and we see this bus that is obviously it's their bus. You, I mean, you could pick this bus out like anywhere in the world. It's like one of a kind. And my friend didn't see it. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's that's the bus from the gypsies that we crossed in Florida. And he didn't even see it at first. And he's like, oh, my, that's that's crazy. But it's like 536 in the morning. So we, we decided that we should say hello. I mean, we should see how they're doing and check in with them, see how their travels are going. But we said, let's, let's get, get him something. We're going to go get our coffee anyway. Let's grab him something, a little snack or something and take over to him. So we went to the little gas station there and killed some time a little bit because it was so early and had a coffee, bought bought some donuts. And then so we go back to this little pullover area where their their bus was parked and it was concealed a little bit. So you couldn't, you didn't really have great view of it from the interstate. So it wasn't kind of like a, just a little area that they pulled over to get some privacy. So I go up and I I knock on the bus and, and nobody comes out to greet me or anything. And then I, I knocked again. Next thing I know, the window opens and one of the individuals in the in the party there in the clan, and this guy's this really, really long beard and ZZ top type beard, and he just looked really intimidating. And he peeks out the window and he's holding uh, like a revolver gun. And I'm standing there with donuts like, hey, how you doing? Good morning. And he's pointing a revolver at me. And my friend's still in the car. He hasn't come out yet. And I'm just like, 
what is going on? Here I am trying to bring these people breakfast and just say hello. And this guy is pointing a revolver at me. And so I'm like right away, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't you remember me? I'm Eric. I'm from, remember in Florida and Kasim? And he's just looking at me like shaking and saying, I don't know who you are. And so then I happened to mention the name of, there was this younger guy in the group. I think there was about 10 or 12 of them. But there was this younger guy in the group we'd been talking to more and his name was Chris. And I said, yeah, I know Chris. Is Chris there? And he's just like, there's nobody in here by the name of Chris. You need to get on out of here. So he's still pointing the revolver at me. So I just kind of backed up and I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to get shot here over some donuts. And so he, he's just pointing the nose of the revolver at me. And I just kind of backed up and slowly moved away. And then I, I got around the corner and I just took off. And just about that time, my friend's getting out of the car. I came, what's going on? How are they doing? And I'm like, we got to get out of here. And I ran, I said, just get in the car, go. We got in the car, got back on the interstate, and started going to the next destination. But that that one really stood out because my heart just totally dropped. And I was thinking, gosh, this could be the end. I'm 19 years old. And I don't. So, so that was like, that was really a crazy time. The one thing that stuck out to me when you're talking about getting pulled over was having to pay cash on the spot. That's a new one that I've heard of. And I don't know if that's, is that actually a thing or was that cop just trying to get money from you? I think he was just trying to get money from us. You know, there's that whole thing in the North and the South, the uh, growing up in Pennsylvania, you know, I used to make frequent trips across the line into like uh, the state line in West Virginia, in Maryland, and there's the Mason-Dixon line. So they, they say that like the mindset is that Maryland is where, is where the South starts because I've lived in Maryland for many years and I, I just never really felt like Maryland was a true Southern state. But anyhow, this was down in South Carolina. This is my theory. I think this particular cop saw the Pennsylvania license plates. So we were identifying as Yankees and we're going through his area and there were people zooming past us. But I thought, okay, he's just looking at this as a way to make a quick little profit off these two Yankee guys coming down here from Pennsylvania. And yeah, it's... it's it's certainly not legal or ethical, but we were just like, we were young and I think we were just like scared of what could happen. The next thing you know, we're pulling the money out of our wallets and handing it over to him. But it was, it was, it was a pretty uncomfortable situation because he was not playing around at all. Like he was dead serious. He was like, you know, you're going to spend the night in jail if you don't come up with the cash. I, I totally agree with you that I don't think Maryland is, we're not. I don't feel like Maryland is a southern state because we actually live in Maryland. And it's like, I feel like we're part of the north, but I guess technically we're not. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I lived in the, in the west of Maryland for a while, which if you go to the far west of the state where there's like rivers and mountains, there's even a ski resort called Wisp. So I lived out about 45 minutes away from an area called Deep Creek Lake, but I lived in Frostburg, Maryland, out near Cumberland. Then I lived and worked there for a number of years. And then I also lived on the eastern, I guess you could say the eastern seaboard over in Harford County, which is like a little bit north of Baltimore and totally different way of life. But Western Maryland felt a little bit more Southern, so to speak. But yeah, like I never, I'm with you. I never really felt like Maryland had the Southern state feel. I still don't. And since you have been in both PA and Maryland, I have to ask you this. What is your opinion of Maryland drivers versus Pennsylvania <laughs> drivers? Because I know down here the thought is that Pennsylvania drivers do not know how to drive. 
That's an awesome question. I was listening to you guys' episode this morning as I was getting ready about your the PA Maryland driver debate. So I was listening to your podcast. That was, that was a really good episode. I think that generally speaking, okay, so it's a very generalized statement, but I feel like Pennsylvania drivers, depending on what part you're in, but for the most part, are probably a little bit more relaxed drivers. And they're just like a little bit more easygoing and they maybe aren't in quite as much of a frenetic kind of pace of life unless you're down maybe off the out down towards like Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. I feel like when I lived in Maryland, especially when I lived off of I-95 and I used to travel the Beltway a lot, like 695 and 895 and the the tunnels, the harbor tunnels. I felt like every time I got in the car, (laughs) I got on 95, it was just like this adrenaline rush experience. I felt like it was just a lot more intense. And I felt like people were just a little, overall, maybe a little bit more aggressive and more in a hurry. I don't know if it was because a lot of the folks were probably on their way to New York. Maybe they're heading north on 95. They're heading towards like Philly or they're heading towards New York City. So there's just kind of like that faster pace. But I would have to say just in general that I think for the most part, Pennsylvania drivers were maybe a little bit more like Sunday drivers, just out kind of like chill and out for more of a leisurely stroll. And Maryland drivers are like, hey, get out of my way. <laughs> I got to get somewhere in a New York minute, like clear the way. Here I come. Well, that's just my experience. I can agree with you on that. I definitely think there's also a difference between West and East PA drivers, oh, yeah. but we actually live in Northern Maryland. So we have a lot of Pennsylvania drivers that come through our area. And one thing we definitely notice is, I don't know, it's, you can we can tell if someone is a Pennsylvania driver by how different they drive. We're like, oh my God, that's got to be a Pennsylvania driver. <laughs> then they like, well, they'll overtake you or they'll do something crazy. And you're like, yep, that's their license plate. <laughs> Confirmation, yeah. I was shocked to hear that, I guess this was a while ago when you took this road trip of 50 cents per gallon. I wish gas was that cheap now. <laughs> it was so nice. We had this like, that CRX, we could fill that car up for like six or seven dollars. It was just like, it's almost unthinkable now. And, you know, it was like 55 miles a gallon and it had a pretty small tank. But when gas is like 52 cents a gallon, you can go a long ways on 10 bucks. And so that was really a nice aspect of traveling in, in those days and just traveling in a car that had so much fuel economy. Yeah. Encountering the same bus and that you drop that person's name and they're like, there's no Chris on this bus. Makes you kind of doubt. Is this truly the same bus? I know. I just thought to myself, like, what are the odds of this? We're in this, this campground near Orlando. And then we're on literally almost two weeks later on this random stretch of interstate. And you think about all the millions of cars that are traveling and there it is. It was, you know, and I think there was just, they were paranoid that we were following them. When I look back on it, I thought, okay, that's maybe what brought out the the pistol. Maybe they had been involved with something with the law and they thought we were following them. It was definitely weird to come across. What are the odds? What are the chances of coming across that bus out in the middle of New Mexico? But we did. Is this also the same trip where you entered Mexico and had trouble coming back in? It was. That was a bad day. We recovered from that. And that day was, I think our hearts were still beating like an hour down the road when we got back in the interstate. So we said, we're pretty close to Mexico. And in those days, we weren't Googling anything. We actually had this old Rand McNally map that we're using. 
And so we're like looking at the maps and we're like, where can we, let's go into Mexico. Let's go check it out. We've both never been. So we picked out this little town. I want to say it was called Palamos, Mexico, and it was, it was on the New Mexico border. And so we picked this spot out. And so we went into Mexico for half a day and we had no issues when we were in Mexico. But when we were trying to get back out, we had issues. We, we came out of Mexico to go back into the U.S. So we went through this customs check. And the the Mexican police, the Mexican security, they came out and they started asking us questions like, what were you doing in Mexico? Why were you just here for half a day? Because this was just a little tiny like agricultural community, Palamos. There wasn't really anything to see there for a tourist, but we just wanted to just go into Mexico. And I think we had lunch somewhere. There was nothing specific that we were seeing there. It was just more of like cross that off that we went to Mexico. So they were acting very kind of being very inquisitive and what were you guys doing there? And then they asked, which I thought was kind of an interesting question, but how much money do you have? Well, we had a quite a bit of cash on us at this point, other than paying for that speeding ticket in Florida. We had been staying with some friends and family in Florida. We worked for the census for a week, got paid. So we still had, I mean, we still probably had four dollars $500 because we'd made a little money and hadn't spent so much yet. And so they they thought it was really odd. So you have all this cash on you. Why do you have so much cash? Because we each had four or 500 bucks. So that raised their suspicion. And next thing you know, they're having us take everything out of the car. We had to take our bags out, unroll our socks, spread all of our clothes out onto the parking lot area there. We even had to take the seats out of the car. And then they strip searched us and it was a kind of a scary experience. And the crazy thing is we went through that, took about an hour and they finally let us through or they finally like gave us the approval. But then we start putting this stuff back into the car and it's one of the other officials that had been inside watching us. He thought he saw us do something suspicious with our hands as we were repacking our bags. We had half of the stuff packed back up. They came back out and made us do the whole process over again. And by that point, I was a little bit perturbed. And I, I just, this is, this is ridiculous. We just, we just searched everything. But we complied because we were like, oh, we don't want to end up in a jail here or getting charged with something. So we complied and we took everything apart again. Then they finally let us go. They weren't very nice. They weren't very friendly, but they, they did ultimately let us cross back into the U.S. We were like, oh my gosh, I felt like kissing American soil. I got back to the other side and like, okay, this has been a rough day. Wow, that sounds, that's something I wish nobody else has to go through. That feels like it's terrifying. It was. It was very terrifying. You had to take the seat out yourself. I, I thought they would, I know like what I've seen is that they would take people's cars apart and stuff. I didn't know that they would make you take your own car apart. They literally did. And we weren't really sure how to do it. We're like, I've never actually take seats out of the car. So we had this small toolbox. We just had like basic couple of screwdrivers and things like that. Just stuff to fix a flat. So we had a, a couple of things, but we literally had to take the seats out of the car. And I'm like, I can't even believe we're doing this. Like that we're taking the seats out of our own car. But I was just like, okay, whatever. We just better do what they say or this isn't going to end well. <laughs> Did you not have to show a passport entering into Mexico and coming back into the state? In those days, we I don't believe we did. 
Yeah, I wasn't traveling with a passport, so we just had to show, like, driver's license. I think it was, like, two forms of ID. Because I do remember in those days, like, my uncle was living in California. He could travel back. He was down in the San Diego area, and he said people travel back and forth to, like, Tijuana on the border all the time. And, yeah, there, there just wasn't the, the regulatory process that there is now. Like, if you want to go to Mexico or Canada, it can actually get pretty involved now. So that was your crazy U.S. story. What would you say is one of your crazy international stories? I have like a version, I guess you could call like my version of planes, trains, and automobiles. Like that that movie with Steve Martin and John Candy from long ago. Like I, I was visiting a good friend and his wife that he's, he's an American, but he's he's lived overseas extensively. He was in the military for a while and he married an Italian lady and they kind of lived back and forth. But at this point, this was like 2004, him and his wife were living in a beautiful part of Germany. And it was called Garmisch-Partenkirchen. And it's actually a place where they had the Winter Olympics way back in like the 1930s. Just absolutely gorgeous. Just the town just sat in an area surrounded by the German Alps and just beautiful Alpine area. And my wife and I and our kids, we had visited them that previous summer. And we had taken like a summer road trip with them in a Volkswagen van. Imagine like four people and two little kids driving all around like Germany and Austria and Switzerland. So we we had loved the experience so much that I was like, I want to I want to get back there as soon as possible. So on a spring break trip, I was teaching at a small college then. I had a week and a couple of days off. So I'm like, I'm going to go over and see Daryl and Alex and maybe do a little bit of skiing in the Alps and just experience it in the winter, even though it was like early March, but there's you know, still a lot of snow and everything. So I go over there and I'm always like trying to see as much as I can see when I'm there. And, and my friend and I had talked about, let's spend part of the time in Germany, but then let's fly over to Poland. We've both never been to Poland and we had just really wanted to go over there and kind of check it out. So we had booked flights, and around this time, Europe was having one of those storms of the century, just getting absolutely pummeled with snow, blizzards. So we started off, we were at the Munich airport, Munich, Germany, we were trying to fly, fly to Poland, and it was snowing so bad, so hard, and they were just shutting things down, and we actually made it onto the plane which I thought was almost like insane. I'd, I'd actually thought about saying, hey, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> just get me off this plane. This is too bad. And there was a Russian airliner around that time that slid off the runway. And so I think that was like the final straw. And so they're like, okay, taking everybody off the plane. They shipped us back to the airport. We're like an hour and 15 minutes from our house in garbage parking carriage and where my friend lived. So we're kind of stuck in Munich. So we said, okay, we're, we're not going anywhere by plane. The trip to Poland is off. So we're just going to have to get back to the house. Plan B, I don't know, whatever that is. Then we, uh, we go to the train station. People say, oh, the trains are still operating. So we go to the train station, and I, I think we probably waited there for two or three hours with hundreds of other people. So we're just freezing. Like, it's major blizzard. It's blowing. It's wind. just tons of snow. And we finally realized, okay, there's, there's no trains operating. The tracks are just covered. There's so much snow. So we're like, okay, the train is not going to work. How are we going to get home? 
So we just set out on foot and we end up walking like several miles into Munich and most of the hotels are full because so many people were stranded. We finally found a hotel. I think we had the last room. And so we got cleaned up and spent the night there, had a good warm breakfast. The next day at breakfast, we run into a guy that my friend knew from the military. He was stranded as well. And none of the taxis were running either. So we're like, okay, the plane didn't work. The train option didn't work. Okay, let's try the automobile. And we found out the taxis were not running. But my friend's friend, he said, I, I know this, this man who does drive taxi, but and he also drives taxi with his own car kind of on the side. And he's a, a Croatian guy, and he, he's, he said he's kind of a character. He just got out of jail. He was telling the guy's story. He'd been in the Yugoslavian war between Serbia and Croatia. But that had been over for like, I don't know, six, seven years at this point. But he had been in prison. And he's like, oh, but he's a good guy, and he'll, he'll take you back to Garmisch. So we were like, eh, I don't really know about this, but we want to get home too. And it's like a friend of a friend. He's vouching for him. So I go, okay, we'll do it. So long story short, this guy comes, he picks us up. And so we leave and there's hardly any cars on the road, but we are, we get out onto the Autobahn in Germany, which is like people drive like, gosh, like I've been on the Autobahn a lot and it's people are driving like 110, 120 miles per hour on the Autobahn, but the conditions were so bad. And the guy starts driving like he's in a race, like he's, he's a race car driver and we are are starting to get really, really nervous. And it, it goes to the point where we're like pleading with him to slow down. And he would he would slow down for a little bit, but then we'd get back out on an open stretch and he would just, we we're driving like 100 kilometers an hour, like 60 miles, 65 miles per hour. And the roads are just absolutely abysmal. I actually finally stopped him. I said, look, I want to live. I want to go home and see my wife and kids. We're not in a hurry. We just want to get there. We'll pay you well. We'd already agreed on a fare. I said, look, I'll, I'll pay you more. I just, just slow down. He would for a while, but then he he just would get back to driving fast. And, and we'd slid off the road a few times. And so my friend and I, we finally got to the point where we were just like, we got to like this next area. It was still about 20, 30 minutes away from Garmish. And he stopped the car and we both were just like, we're out of here. <laughs> stopped the car like a red light, I think. We'd just gotten off the Autobahn. We're like, we're out. We we like jump out of the car and he's yelling at us and he's shaking his fist at us and, and all of this. And we had to walk for like about an hour and try to find a rental car company. Which things were closed for the most part, but we actually found one place and we were able to rent a car. It was the last one they had. <laughs> and then we, the remaining, whatever it was, 20, 25 kilometers back to the house. But this was like a two day ordeal. So we went planes, trains, and automobiles, and and we finally made it home safely. But it, we thought we were going to die in that car, and it was just such a white-knuckle experience. <laughs> it was horrible. Wow, that sounds like quite a trip. <laughs> it was. All this just to try to go to Poland? Well, luckily, you were able to find or get the last room, and you got the last car. You lucked out in that situation. We did. We're like, how could we have all this bad luck, but then also all this good luck at the same time? It was just like the yin and the yang. We are literally able to get the last room and the last car, but yeah, we can't get a plane or a train. It was just a weird, weird set of circumstances, but we felt fortunate in the end to be able to just get back to the house. Oh my goodness. Crazy misadventure. And it took two days of just traveling in circles, literally. 
That is crazy. When I heard that, when I read that story, I was like, oh my God, would you have considered jumping out of the moving vehicle? We had, we were like, when you have a good friend and you kind of, you can almost know what the other person's thinking just on eye contact. When we talked about it later, we were both like, I, I think I was ready. When the car even slowed a little bit, I'm rolling out of here, literally. <laughs> I don't care if I break my leg, at least I, I think I'll survive because this guy was just, I don't know if it was a death wish or what, but I, I just felt like I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get out of this car and get back home to America safely because this has gotten out of hand. <laughs> Well, speaking of crazy drivers, and since you've been to so many different countries, all 50 states, there tend to be different types of drivers in different areas. So have you noticed any particular stereotypes in certain areas that you've driven in? I think so. I live in the Midwest now, and I have to say they're some of the most civilized drivers. People out here, they wave at you constantly. I actually feel bad sometimes when I'm driving out here and I forget to wave because that's not, I wasn't raised in an area where drivers did that. But like here, almost everybody, even if you're on the, like a pretty main road and you're going 65 and you're coming the other way and person's waving at you. I've noticed that it's more relaxed, more just maybe even more courteous in a lot of ways, kinder, gentler drivers here. I don't know if all of the Midwest is like that. I mean, I've had some rough experiences in places like Chicago and in other parts of the Midwest, but I feel like the California scene is pretty crazy. Like getting out West, even I'll tell you, I lived in Utah for a while and Utah drivers, believe it or not, have a pretty rough reputation. They are pretty fast drivers. They're, they're aggressive drivers. And I wouldn't have thought that for Utah. But once I got out there and I was living there and I go back to Utah quite a bit and I'm like, there, there are definitely a lot of really fast, aggressive drivers in Utah. But California with those six lane highways, I think everybody should have to experience that once in their lifetime. That will change your life, <laughs> your whole driving experience. And then it's like, as far as East Coast, I think you just get the extremes, you know, as you go north and you get up towards Philly and New York and around Baltimore and DC, definitely type A type drivers. And then if you go down south, it's slower paced. Like Florida to me is like, it can take two hours to get five miles in Florida because I don't know if it's just all the retirees or whatever. It's like all of a sudden you got time on your hands, so you don't have to drive even close to the speed limit. But I definitely found down south, there, there seemed to be more of a relaxed tone to driving. And a lot more people driving with their left hand turn turn signal on, you know, for like five miles and there's nowhere to turn left. So you just see more of these sort of trends in different parts of the country. That's interesting that you said that people wave when you're driving. I feel like the only time I've ever seen a driver's wave is when it's a bus driver waving to another bus driver over here. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Out here, it's like it translates to regular drivers, too. Like The other day I was driving, I passed this person, they waved, and like I didn't wave back. Then I was feeling like this guilt trip. Gosh, how rude am I? Because it's like it's not ingrained in me. It's not muscle memory because I didn't grow up really doing that. But here, it's just the craziest thing. It's, it's kind of cool, though, too, because there's like a courtesy, I guess you could say, too. Yeah, it's more like we're all in this together. Over here, someone's waving. I don't think it's a friend. It's rarely ever a friendly wave. It's always another <laughs> exactly reason. different signals, right? Different different body language. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Definitely experienced that too. So let's dive into more of what kind of driver you are. If you were given the option, would you prefer to be the driver or the passenger? The driver. I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable being the driver for sure. I. 
I have, I like to think I have a lot of endurance as a driver. I don't always trust other drivers. Like I was on a road trip the other night for a football game and the the bus driver was driving us home. It was like three hours and we left at like 10. So we didn't get back to like one in the morning, but he was all over the place on the interstate and he kept hitting the rumble strips and we're in this mass, like a Greyhound type bus. I don't even know how to drive one of those, but I was ready to say, Hey, let me have this. Let me do this. Cause I was like. I don't, I get more nervous a lot of times when other people are driving because I've driven so much in my life that I, it's just more of a comfort level for me. I want to drive. I'm not like the person who crawls up and goes to sleep as the passenger. I can't do that when somebody else is driving. I mean, I have to be dog tired, like not slept in two or three days to be able to sleep when somebody else is driving. But I just, just give me the wheel and I'll be good. Yeah, I feel like when you're in control of the car, you feel a little more safer because you know that it's all in your hands. Whereas if you're the passenger, you have to like trust the other person and be like, okay, like I trust them with my life right now. I kind of went through like a brief period of my life where I had this massive fear of flying. And I think that's what it was. It was like more of a control thing. You're giving up control to somebody else. It wasn't so much like the actual act of flying scared me. Although I, I still to this day, like turbulence definitely gets my attention. I'm just very nervous with turbulence because I've had some really bad turbul- turbulence experiences. But it's just, it's tough giving up control, even though our pilots are amazing, right? It's just, wow, I'm putting my life into somebody else's hands, essentially. We know that you prefer to drive. How would you describe the type of driver that you are? And would you say that your family and friends would describe your driving the same way? I I think I'm a pretty defensive driver. I I follow the rules, although I did get a speeding ticket a couple weeks ago. First one, I lived out here in the Midwest for six years on the first go around. I moved back to the Maryland, Pennsylvania area for like eight, nine years. Then we came back here three years ago. I'd got no tickets on the East Coast during that eight, nine years. And there's cops everywhere. Out here, you don't already see cops. And we're out here and I, I got a ticket and it's just very, very odd. But tickets here are only 20 bucks in North Dakota. A lot of people don't know that. It's like a parking fine back east, literally. But anyhow, like I, I, I definitely, I think I'm a rules follower. Like I am a courteous driver. I describe myself as being just cooperative. I'm the type of person that'll let people through, let people pass. And I think that's what others would say about me. Like people know that I've been on a lot of road trips and that I'm a big time traveler. So they seem to like feel extra secure when they know that I'm driving. I don't know if it's just the experience factor or what, but I I kind of feel like people have faith in me when I'm driving. That, That feels good. Wow, $20 for a ticket? Yeah, that's nothing, I feel like. That's like how much to pay for gas. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's $20. It's shocking. A lot of people don't believe that, but $20. Do they not get that much speeders, or is that just like the set you know, price? I- Cost. I feel I feel like they do get a fair amount of speeders because there's not a lot that goes wrong out here. It's almost like it gives it's like something to do because we just I live in an area where it's really really safe and there's not really a whole lot of crime going on. So I, I don't know. Maybe they give more tickets more just because it's a way to. Obviously, it generates a little bit of revenue, but I don't know how much at 20 bucks. You're going to give a lot of tickets, I guess, to generate good revenue at $20 a pop. But yeah, like there's just not a whole lot. We don't even have a traffic light where I live. You can't get people on running a red light because there are no red lights. 
<laughs> you know, it's almost like, well, we'll get him on not coming to a complete stop at stop signs. So we'll get him on speeding. And there's not really a whole lot else going on unless maybe a cow gets out of the field and wanders onto the highway. It's pretty low key here. Wow. I didn't know that there was no traffic lights at all there. So I guess it's just stop signs for the most part. Yeah. In my town, it is. You, you would have to go about 30, roughly 20, 25, 30 miles from here to find any kind of traffic light. Because in all directions, the roads are just straight, literally straight. You could see miles ahead with no winding roads, very level, very flat. And then once you get into like a bigger town, you may find one one stoplight. We live about 45 minutes away from a city with about, I don't know, 25, 30,000 people in South Dakota. And then, of course, they have lots of traffic lights there. But again, that's like 45 minutes away. Yeah, I guess like for the most part, at least what I've heard is traffic lights tend to be put up where there's a lot of accidents. So I guess you just haven't had that many accidents up that way that they need a light. Yeah, actually, the more accidents with like animals here, you have, it's just, there are less vehicle accidents. Not, I mean, that we do have them, but you're more likely to hit an elk or a moose or a deer or some other animal than you are another car. Have you ever had an encounter with an animal? I have, but oddly enough, it was on the East Coast. You know, you would think after living in Montana out here and North Dakota and Arizona that I would have had encounters. But oddly enough, my worst encounter with an animal driving was I hit a deer in Maryland, almost totaled by a pickup truck. It was pretty intense. That's really the only one I think I've had in all these years. Yeah, deer are the one thing that I see all the time. I feel like whenever I tell people I've seen deer here or like the road names and stuff and everyone's like, I've never seen a deer there. And I'm like, I don't know. They just come out wherever I go. (laughs) So I know you were just talking about your speeding ticket. And I think you mentioned you got one in Finland and how the way they give fines is a little different than they do here. Yeah, I got a speeding ticket in Finland. I mean, it's just, I had no idea how they do fines in Finland. They have a really unique way of assessing fines that I I learned the hard way. (laughs) And I wasn't going very much over, but I just found it odd, you know, when they, they had me get out of my car. And of course, in the States, you know, you're taught to just stay in your car in most states. I think there are some states where you get out of your car, but I was just taught stay in your car, put your hands up on the wheel and don't act do anything out of the ordinary, but they, they both came and they, they were like motioning, get out of the car. I'm like, oh, I wonder what I did. And then they said, they're motioning for me to follow them. So then I ended up having to sit in the back of their squad car. Only time I've ever been in the back of a police car, I will say proudly, but I sat in the back and I wondered why they're talking in Finnish and I understood very, very little Finnish. I'd only been living there a little while. They just seemed like they didn't know what to do with me. And I'd given them my passport and all that. But what they were doing is they were trying to figure out what my income was. Because in Finland, they find you based on how much money you make. And I was just there on a temporary assignment. Later, I'd come to read stories how I think it was a Nokia executive, the Nokia phones. He was going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. And he had a speeding ticket that was over $100,000. I was like an NHL Finnish hockey player. I think Timo Solani got like a $39,000 speeding ticket. I just, I was like, I was incredulous. Like I couldn't believe this. But at that moment, I had no clue what was going on. So they started asking me, like, what do you do? 
What is your job title? What is your monthly salary? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what does this have to do with a speeding ticket? So they had to verify with my employer, which I was working for a professional American football team. And I was coaching over there. I was over there for like a couple of years. I was over for like five, six months stints, but they had to verify my income with the police department. And so the ownership had to get involved. It was kind of a confusing process. Fortunately, I wasn't making very much there. I was like, I was getting paid more with benefits, like free plane tickets. I had a free flat that I lived in and meals, but I, I got a very small stipend monthly, like, I don't know, it was like 1500 American dollars a month, but they actually, they figured it out. They had this chart and they gave me the ticket. It was, it wasn't very much. It was, I want to say just a little bit over a hundred dollars, which is still pricey, but my team owner ended up paying it anyway, because it was his one of his vehicles in his fleet. But it was a learning experience for me because I was like, wow, what a concept. Your ticket depends on how much you make. And if you're doing very well financially, you're going to get nailed with a heavy fine if you live in Finland and you're speeding. I wonder if that kind of system reduces the number of speeders. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I remember traveling in Australia and, and I was listening to that was another podcast I was listening to you guys and you're talking about your Australia experiences. But I, I remember being out on the open road in Australia and I was talking to people there and they were saying like, if you get caught texting and driving, it's like a legit $500 fine. And like the fines were really, really steep. And I remember asking the people in Australia, well, does this cut down? And they're like, yeah, percentage wise, it cut down on the number of people like texting and driving and speeding drastically because the Australian government, I guess, just raised the prices significantly for those offenses. So they had less people offending. So I don't know how it works for Finland, but I, I would guess that, yeah, that, that less people drive over the limit because I know there's tons of cameras in Finland too. It's like when you're driving, they're taking your picture a lot. So when you come into the town, it's like people know where the cameras are too. Because I remember driving with people and they'd be like, no, you got to slow down here. There's cameras all over and they'll just send you the ticket in the mail. So slow down. So I'd have, have like a different sense of awareness over there. And, and people seem to follow the rules pretty well. Wow. That's way different than those $20 fines in North Dakota. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those ones don't hurt near as much. Do you think that, or which system of fining do you think is better? The way we find here where it's a set fine or the Finland version? Gosh, that's that's a good question. I don't know. Like, I feel finding people off their income might be a little bit extreme, but I think it definitely gets people's attention more though too. Like if you you get fined and you're going a certain amount over, like you could be paying literally thousands of dollars. But maybe the mindset is people that may are making a lot. What's a $5,000 ticket to somebody who's making 2 million bucks a year? Overall, I would probably prefer our system, maybe just increasing the prices more for multiple offenders, maybe like tweaking our system. So if somebody has several offenses, then maybe it would be okay to drastically increase like on a tier system. So if this is your third speeding ticket, then okay, you have to pay. This one's a thousand bucks or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a little, a little too extreme. But yeah. speaking of crazy drivers, what would you say is your biggest driving pet peeve? I think it would probably be a tie between people who just pull right out in front of you. Let's say you're doing a nice speed, like maybe 60, 65 on a single lane highway. And then there's like some semi truck that's hauling 20,000 pounds. 
and you're like a few hundred yards from them and they pull out right in front of you and you know by the time you get on them they're only going to be up to maybe 20 miles per hour and they got to slowly go through all their gears and everything just to get up to 40 or 50 which still is 20 miles per hour slower than you're going and then you're like you're just stuck you literally have to practically come to a complete stop i think when i see people just pull out in front or they, they can't wait an extra four seconds till you pass by that gets me and i think the other thing is just lack of turn signals that would be a tie. I know like sometimes that probably seems just almost nitpicky, but I get aggravated sometimes when people just like move in and out of traffic or they they turn, you know, they're in front of you and they turn and there's like, like no, no usage of turn signals. And that to me sometimes is just kind of aggravating. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. I feel like the more you drive, the more you notice how other people drive and you're like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I know. I know it, it does. It makes you just like, what are you doing? You just wish you could act, act, talk to the person, you know, and ask them like, why did you do that? It was four seconds, five seconds. I was going to be past you and you just pulled right out in front of me. It's almost like people are not thinking sometimes. They're just daydreaming or who knows what, I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, exactly. I have no idea what's going through their mind at that moment. But now that we know what kind of driver you are, let's go back to how it all started. How would you describe your very first driving experience and who was it with? Gosh, first driving experience, I guess, was illegal. I always, well, almost embarrassing to admit this, but I, I remember, and my mom, I've since told my mom this, but my mom used to have this, like this black Chevy Blazer that sat really high off the ground, and it was like it was kind of a beast of a car. And I remember when I was about 14, 15, I thought it would have been pretty cool to drive that, but I was like, oh, I still got to wait till I'm 16 in Pennsylvania before I can take my test and everything. And so I, I remember when my mom would have to go somewhere and I was like, because she, she was a single mom and it was just me and her. And I knew that if my mom was going somewhere, I was going to have the house to myself. And if she didn't take the Blazer with two vehicles then, and I was, I really want to drive that Blazer. So I kind of went through this bad stage of, I don't know, just bad decision making when I was around like 14, where when my mom would leave and she didn't take the blazer, I would go on little joy rides in this blazer. So I would, you know, make sure to make everything look exactly the way it looked and keep everything in its place. And I'd put a couple dollars worth of gas in if I needed to, so that it wasn't obvious on the gas gauge, but I would just go on joy rides. And it was never more than like maybe five, six miles away from where we live, but I would take that blazer out and I would crank up the stereo and I would, I thought I was like king of the road and I would just go out and drive it. <laughs> so it's just like it's horrible and i got away with it like i never got caught and then i just told my mom one day when i was like in my 20s i'm like remember that blazer you used to have she's like yeah do you know i used to drive that all the time when you weren't around and she was, was kind of a little bit mad but she also thought it was funny she's like well if that's the worst thing you did well it probably was i, I was a pretty good kid otherwise but i, I did do that and then first time I think driving stick shift to my uncle taught me that when I was about 13, 14, and it wasn't his car. It was like a state truck for his job. And I think it was, in, it was in the state of California. I was out visiting him. I remember that because I was like not knowing what I was doing, driving stick shift for the first time. I was like cranking the gear, grinding the gears and all this, but I just thought it was the coolest thing to learn to drive stick shift on this pickup truck and i'm just i don't know once i finally mastered it i was so proud of myself when you took your mom's blazer out were you not afraid of getting caught i was but i think it was just like the 
the the lore of doing it just to see how good of a driver am i and like how how cool is this gonna be and just like yeah i was because my mom would have absolutely i would have been in so much trouble i probably wouldn't have got my license till i was like 20 if she would have ever caught me in those days but yeah i was i guess just one of those things when you're a teenager all the times you just you're just you're not thinking you're just doing something and then you think about it a year later or two years later and you're like what was i doing but it definitely crossed my mind. But the thrill of it and the challenge of it was the bigger adrenaline high. So that's, I guess, why I did it. Well, you definitely had a driving experience then. So how was your driving test? Were you able to pass it on the first go? No, I was not. In those days, you, you know, you had a Pennsylvania state trooper in the car when you got tested. So I remember like practicing a lot and I felt very confident. And the only thing that scared me was a parallel parking, because that's like the one that everybody talked about. Like, oh, I just I'm so afraid of this parallel parking experience, and I hope I pass it. So my first test, I did really well. I nailed the parallel parking. I scored really high. And I had like an intimidating Pennsylvania State Trooper in the car with me. Like I was like shaking. And I remember just being so nervous. But once I started driving, I calmed down. I was like, I'm, I'm doing really well. So we get to the end of the test. And I'm like, I'm feeling like I'm good. I'm going to have my license. This is going to be a great day. And the Pennsylvania State Trooper, he's like, well, son, he said, Eric, let me tell you, you did a very nice job on this test. And he, he pulled over his clipboard and he put it in front of me, showed me, you got this amount of points on this. He said, plenty of points to pass. Excellent job. He said, but I'm going to have to fail you because you see your little, your driving permit here. He said, you did not sign the back of your permit. So it's invalid. For that reason, I'm going to fail you. And I my, I just, I feel like time just stood still. I was like, oh no, you got to be kidding me. My mom's waiting on me, you know, she's expecting that I did well. I think she's just anticipating that I'm going to be good. So I remember having to go back to the car and tell her that I failed because I did really, really well on the actual test, but I did not sign my driver's permit. So the cop failed me. And then the second time I went back, I took it, I failed the parallel parking by like a point. So I, I failed the second time because I think I was just nervous. And then the third time, they say the third time's a charm. I, I passed my third time. <laughs> I got my license. That is so crazy that you failed because of just not signing your permit. But also, I didn't know that you had a state trooper in the car with you. Yeah, that's the way they did it. And I don't know if it was just a Pennsylvania thing, but... I remember because, you know, everybody knew who the tough troopers were. You would talk to your friends and say, oh, Trooper Smith, he is really tough and he's mean and he's attention to detail oriented. You want to get Trooper Jones. She is she's more laid back. And, she, you know, like so people would there was like three or four main troopers that did these tests and people knew which ones were tougher. And, and I had a tough one that first one. I don't remember his name, but like he, he was a stickler, obviously, because he was the attention to detail guy. And he got me on not signing the permit, which technically he was in the right. So I, I had to retake the test. We actually had somebody else that came on last season who was also from Pennsylvania, and their driving experience was nothing like that. This is the first time hearing of a trooper in the car, and the first time actually hearing someone say they had to parallel park on the test because everyone else we've asked, they said huh. no. I don't know when they would have changed that then because, yeah, it was pretty standard then. Yeah, we had to, we have to parallel park here, but now that our brother had to go take the test, they took it off. So I don't know if they're just starting to get rid of it in states, but yeah, 
No more parallel parking for most people. Yeah, there's probably a lot of happy kids out there. <laughs> like, yes, we don't have to do that anymore. So this is a little different question. With the thought of having driverless cars in the future, would you be open to being in a driverless car? And what do you think about this? I've read about some of the things going on. I think like down in Carnegie Mellon University, which you know I'm from Pennsylvania, so the Carnegie Mellon's in Pittsburgh. I think they're kind of like one of the leading places for this type of technology. So I've read up on it a little bit. And like I think I would be open to it. My only thing would be just the safety part of it. Like, how are we going to control what what altitude you're set at? Or like, how how do we like monitor the traffic and would not have like head-on collision? That, that's not going to be a very good thing. I feel like with innovation like this, there's probably always going to be that period of time where there's going to be some flaws in the system and there's going to be some trial and error. But like overall, I think the way we're innovating now, like when you look at everything that Tesla is doing with cars and electric cars and just cars that have just amazing technology, I feel like it, especially if it's good for the environment, I'm definitely open to it. And I hope I'm still around, you know, I live long enough to see where it, where it goes to, because I, th- I think it would be fun. It, it would be definitely, I think, a pretty exciting technology to, to have. So yeah, I'd be for it, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting yet kind of scary concept. But if they can work out all the kinks in it, then I definitely think it would be a great thing to have, especially for the environment, yeah, like you said. I agree. Bonus question time. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? Wow, that's a great question. I would say that once you hit a certain age that you have to have more of a test of your mental sort of physical capacities to drive maybe not i don't know if it'd be fair to do like age wise because i know like they have a thing with like pilots you know like think once you hit a certain age the airlines takes away doesn't allow you to fly commercially any longer i don't know what that age or what that cutoff is but I feel like a lot of times people's reaction times get much worse and their sense of awareness and things like that. So sometimes I feel like I remember driving with my grandfather when he was 92 and and I love my grandfather, but I was just like, oh my goodness, we were in about like three or four accidents in like a 45 minute drive. And I was like, this is, this is not good. What do what are we doing here? I guess maybe just some type of more like solid law that just test people's reaction times and their abilities, their motor skills, that kind of thing as we age, because I feel like reflexes and reaction times and things like that, it's proven that, you know, we, we start to get a little bit rusty with, with some of that as we get into our advanced years. Yeah, I can see that as I feel like a lot of people would be debating whether or not to actually do that as a law, but I can see where you're coming from, especially since as you do get older, those are the drivers that you do tend to see that you're like, okay, maybe they shouldn't be driving right now. I know. Yeah, you're right. It'd probably be very controversial to try to do that, but I still feel like it would maybe save some people's lives or something. I don't know. For sure. Do you have any final thoughts or any tips that you would like to give other drivers? Really just enjoy the open road. I mean, it's kind of like my travel philosophy too. If you have a road trip in mind or you want to, something that you want to do, something you want to see, just kind of let serendipity be your guide and don't rob yourself of experiences. Get out on the open road and there's there's so much to see in our country. And I just think 
to me, driving is really the best way to do it. I enjoy being on trains too, but, but there's something about driving and being on the open road that's very cathartic and very exciting. So I'll just tell people, just do it, you know, just go get out there and explore. Yeah, it can also be just a moment to like spend time alone and have that break and just take in what's around you. It's a great tip. Thank you. So I know you have a personal development coaching business. Where can listeners find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, so they can find me on my website is just www.ericslavosky.com. And uh, on there, it's just um, a lot of free content. I do uh, weekly, usually a weekly blog post and offer coaching services on there. I do a lot of like personal development coaching, blogging and things of that nature. So you can connect with me on there. I'm also uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter at Eric Slavosky. So yeah, so you can connect with me on any one of those social media sites or go directly to my website, email me, call me, what have you. Definitely look forward to touching base for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This was really fun. And I feel like we could have gone on and on forever about all your driving experiences, but it was a blast talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on. That was a crazy episode. He had a lot of stories where I was just like, whoa. And a lot of them were in one trip. Yeah. If you had to choose between one of his driving experiences that he went through that you had to experience, which one would you choose? You know, a lot of them were like really extreme that I don't know I would want. <laughs> yeah, because one was he got held at gunpoint and I definitely don't want to be held at gunpoint. Like, uh, that's a little too extreme for me. He got strip searched at the Mexico border. Uh, no, thank you. You know, what's seeming the, what seems like the least of all of them is like getting pulled over in Finland or something like that. Oh my gosh, I was going to pick that same one. I was like, I don't want to be subjected to strip search and the whole facing a gun. Like, I don't think, first of all, I don't think I would have been brave enough to go up to those people in the bus. But I mean, you had already met them at this point. You're like, oh, they're nice people. We hung out with them. So yeah, you would have been like, oh, let me go say hi. (laughs) I know. So by default, I'm like, I'd rather just get pulled over in Finland. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, what? Why am I getting out of the car? Huh? Either that or I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do the whole trains, planes, and automobiles in Germany. That seems scary. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was going through the same thing. Like, we are the same person. I was like, would I want to get in this Croatian taxi driver's car? Or would I just want to get pulled over and have to be, like, sitting in the back of a police car in Finland? (laughs) Yeah. Where you don't understand what they're saying. They don't understand what you're saying. (laughs) Like, Like, what's going on? Yeah, exactly. And I have to touch on this. And I mean, if you listen to our old episodes before we started our new (laughs) format, we talked about Maryland and Pennsylvania all the time. And talking to Eric about this, he basically just confirmed all the things that we've mentioned about Maryland and Pennsylvania drivers, like exactly what we've been saying the entire time. (laughs) It's okay. One affirmation. It's like, oh, yes, someone else understands. But He's lived in Maryland. He's lived in Pennsylvania. He knows the difference. So, yeah. Yeah, So we're not being dramatic. (laughs) We're not dramatic. You're dramatic. (laughs) This is real life. (laughs) Maryland's crazy. We'll keep bringing on more drivers to confirm it for you. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. Actually, it's kind of more like for us, right? (laughs) 
to be like, we're right. <laughs> he's been to all 50 states and he said Maryland drivers are crazy. So he has some experience, expertise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> that was Eric's stories. If you or anyone you know has any crazy stories like Eric, not like Eric, like crazy stories funny, weird, interesting, and would like to come on the show, you can fill out the interest form on our website at drivewithuspodcast.com. And stay tuned until the end for a sneak peek of next week's episode. And don't forget to come hang out with us in our Discord group. Link below. Yeah, link in the show notes below. Thanks for driving with us. Bye. And now, a sneak peek. When I was in high school and I went to prom, our prom was not on campus. It was like in the middle of downtown Dallas and they did not give you directions. It was before we had smartphones. And so with the ticket that you bought for prom, they gave you MapQuest directions printed out. But then after prom, I figured, well, I can just reverse those directions and then that will take me home. That is not what happened.